This episode is sponsored by Intel. By using the power of our technology, scale of our resources, and expertise and passions of our people, we are helping create a more inclusive and responsible culture, industry, and world. We are helping women grow their careers and change the future of technology. And we are taking steps to increase the number of women in technical roles and senior leadership. Our actions support Intel's purpose to create world-changing technology that improves the life of every person on the planet. Glass Ceiling Institute presents Unravel, where we bring together thought leaders, research excellence, and best practices to realize a diverse and inclusive workplace. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Unravel. My name is Stacy Simler, and with us we have Michelle Bailey. Michelle Bailey. And we are here to talk about so many things we have to talk about, but we are going to start with who we are. So I am Stacy Simler, and I am the SVP of Business Development and Government Affairs at WITI. WITI stands for Women in Technology International, and Michelle is the CEO of WITI. And just to talk a little bit about me and what kind of brings me to this space of, of talking about Unravel, which we're going to tell you a lot more about, um, my personal passions for the last couple of years have been around racial justice. I am a member of a large national organization called Be the Bridge to Racial Reconciliation and also a White Ally Journey member on the White Ally Journey of um, the Black Colleague Network formed by InformaTech. So an employee resource group um, of which I am one of the outspoken white members. I am very white in case you can't see me. And my role in the organization um, and with many conversations on this topic are about helping white people get a better understanding of the fact that we live in these systems that really require change and that we're here to talk about today. So, Michelle, over to you. Stacy, Hi. How long is this podcast, Stacy? 20 minutes, I think. We're going to get through a lot in 20 minutes. I mean, when was the last time we were able to talk to each other for only 20 minutes? When do you think the last time that happened? <laughs> a long time ago. So put your ears on, everybody. Listen up. <laughs> okay. So um, so a couple of things. Stacy has very fancy titles. I have a very small title, um, which is good. Um, so we're going to talk about um, a couple of things today. This is our first episode of Unravel. So we're very excited. Neither of us has a clue what we're doing around podcasting, but we're going to learn as we go. Um, and let's talk a little bit about why we called it Unravel. So um, as you can tell, both Stacy and I not only have passions around diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the workforce, um, but it's now how we make a living. And um, the reason we came to Witty is to make changes to systems. And um, that's what Stacy was talking about earlier. So when we were thinking about what to call this podcast, what we really wanted to be able to convey is that we feel that we need to unravel these systems that are in place that 
fundamentally just contain many, many barriers to driving better diversity and inclusivity in the workplace and really want to think through how do we get to systems of inclusion rather than what we've seen for at least the last 30 years, systems of obstruction or exclusion. And um, trying to understand that is like trying to operate with a hairball or a piece of string or a big pile of hay, right? It's just very, very difficult to find the end in the beginning, which we're not going to do. Um, but what we are going to do is learn from what we've seen so far in the workspace, particularly in areas of policy, in bills and legislation, and work towards creating systems of accountability for DEIA. And we're focused on the tech sector. So I've spent 30 years, my entire career, basically in the, in the tech sector. And it is my firm belief that tech has both the greatest opportunity for inclusion in diversity, it also has the greatest risk. And so that's why we're really here to talk about that over this entire podcast series. Um, we're also gonna be talking about our glass ceiling report 2.0. So that is something that we're launching actually this week. Um, the glass ceiling report 2.0 is a reboot of what was the seminal research around uh, women and minorities in the entire private workspace. Uh, that was a report that came out in 1995. Um, the original report was incredible. I don't know if any of you have read that report. We're going to post it on the website so you can go read all about it later. Um, it's a were, monster, but it's worth it. It's incredible. I'm um, a complete snob when it comes to research. I can't stand bad research. And this was fantastic research. It makes me cry a little bit every time I read it because 30 years ago, we had all the answers spelled mm -hmm. out in a beautiful document around how to remove systems of barriers and drive greater inclusivity and promotion to executive ranks in the, the private sector. That original report, it was a four-year undertaking. It involved um, setting up a federal commission. It was run by the incredible Renee Redwood at the time. Um, so she managed through that entire process of four years that crossed administrations and led to an unbelievable set of recommendations for the workspace in terms of how it can drive greater diversity and inclusivity. And um, what makes us a little bit sad, of course, when we think about 1.0, is that very little has changed in the last 30 years. Yes, we have great examples of both women, underrepresented minorities in the workspace, of all, all of us can point to really great professionals who have risen to the top in those areas. But unfortunately, as we go through and really look at the facts and the data in this space, particularly in the tech industry, um, only about 25% of the workspace is women today in technology. Um, we have um, very low numbers of Black and African-American um, workers, um, Hispanic workers particularly are underrepresented in the tech space. And um, what's become really clear is that while there's been great work, great efforts, great research, really not very much has changed. And I don't think, I don't know how you feel, Stacey, I just don't want to see another 30 years go by before everybody figures out that the future of tech 
absolutely requires a foundation of diversity and inclusion to innovate. I mean, we just we see the gaps everywhere, right? You've got a bunch of people who may look alike and certainly probably have very similar upbringings talking amongst themselves about what new innovation and disruption should look like. And to me, you're just leaving out what is, I think, a huge opportunity to understand gaps and areas where you could be selling more, um, inventing faster, um, and driving new products into the market that serve all constituents. So anyway. Can you talk a little bit more about why you have the answers that you have? I mean, what's behind your, I know they're not just your opinions. Right. They're not just like your thoughts. You know, you have data to back up these things that you're saying. Right. I mean, all the data is there. There's so much public data around this. I wish there was more public data. I don't think we have nearly enough. If you look at all of the particularly here in the U.S., there is a number of reports that um, companies have to file annually. Um, They're not necessarily made public. They're around employee ratios. looking at it from both a gender and from an ethnicity and, and race standpoint. In Europe, there's a lot more work that's been done around pay equity. And a lot of that has been put into the public domain. You know, in Asia, there's not nearly enough transparency around data. In fact, globally, it's quite difficult to collect data around race and ethnicity, because of course, as you go around the globe, those mean very different things. So a lot of the data, though, is out there. And again, we even had the data back in 1995. So What we know is that we get an opportunity as part of this work that we do to talk to incredible people who are in the industry, whether they're focused on D&I from a job perspective or whether they're more in the lines of business or whether, again, they work in government. And all the information is, is out there. It's just a matter of putting it together in a way that tells a story. And from my perspective, the greatest loss is to our economy. I mean, When you're talking about the technology sector, which is growing faster than pretty much every industry we have here in the U.S. and globally, Mm -hmm. um, when you look at where the innovation is coming from, most companies today are becoming some form of a tech industry. Look at fintech and the rise of online banks, for example, and digital healthcare. Um, If you're talking about excluding upwards of 50% of your worker population, 60% of all college graduates that don't participate, it obviously has a large impact on the economy, not just from a productivity perspective, um, but clearly from the ability to um, be able to put in place products that are going to serve that entire community. And of course, the population is changing dramatically, right? I mean, just the worker population, it's, you know, if you look at the sheer, go take a look at the latest census, um, you know, uh, individuals with Hispanic heritage or identify as Hispanic are 18% of the U.S. today. I mean, mm-hmm. the the change is already here, and yet our systems of work are still based on systems that were really put in place after World War II. Right. Um, so it's time to think about a big difference. And I think for me, what's been really eye-opening is what's happened in the last 18 months with COVID, particularly in the tech space, we just proved that you can work from home, right? So using digital tools and technology itself, um, the tech industry survived very well by sending upwards of 75% of its employees to the home. Um, I mean, just the economic impact alone that you're talking about and that the report will talk about 
maybe that will be something that gets the technology companies' attention. Because up until now, nothing seems to have the technology industry in terms of real DEIA strategies, practices, you know, that everybody's got, you know, a, something that they're doing and they think they're doing really well and they pat themselves on the back. But really, what are they doing? You know, and so maybe that's maybe that's what will what will get their attention is the economic impact, because um, I can't think of another way to do it because they're not going to do it of the goodness of their heart. I think there's not enough funding for it. I mean, I think, you know, you and I have already seen there's just not enough money here. I mean, this is a 30 year debt that the technology industry and other industries, but the technology industry is built up for itself around representation from a worker standpoint. And um, you don't fix that kind of debt quickly or efficiently, right? It's something. So from my perspective, there needs to not just be more work done, but I think well, I mean, we're, we're already seeing it, new legislation coming to the tech space, and we'll probably talk about that later. I don't think we need new laws. What I think we need is new policy, and we need new interpretation of the laws, or I would say more contextual in, interpretation of the laws oh, that yeah. have existed for many years. And um, and the time the time is now, right? There's There are many, many changes that are happening with the Biden administration. And again, we'll talk about that later. But for me, it's all about money at the end of the day, whether you've got to spend money to make the change or, mm. um, or everyone loves to call it now the ROI. The <laughs> ROI. Mm-hmm. What's the ROI? Very important. Right. Yeah. 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 And what is Woody's kind of part here? I mean, I know we're going to talk next week, a little plug for our episode two. We are going to have the great Renee Redwood, who was the director of the Federal Glass Ceiling Commission on next week. So we're going to talk a lot a bit more about the the kind of origin, but what part is Witty playing a little bit then and now uh, in this massive undertaking? Oh, that's great. great. So at the time, we were able to use our membership to drive better awareness of the outcomes from that report. And um, again, use our membership to be able to really affect change within organizations themselves. I wish there were 100 witties at the time. I think we would have seen a lot more change. So we're going to do that and a little bit more this time. I mean, our, we have 150,000 members worldwide. It's not just women. We obviously have a pretty large group of underrepresented minorities, people of color, people of different ethnicities and abilities. Let's activate them to really drive towards these systems of change and remove these barriers that we see in the workplace. So, you know, the witty membership is both, I think of them as a sort of an input to this, right, providing us with information. And then on the back end, you know, we've got working groups. um, They help us connect with other partners that we work with in this this area, um, other associations within our industry. that want to collaborate here as well. So, I mean, Witty is both a, um, we bring sort of the the structure, if you will, and um, the ability to to drive this information um, as well as community source on solutions, essentially. Mm. That's that's great. And do you think that, so speaking of all of those different um, resources that we'll be able to have, how will that having that accessibility to those different um, resources, will that affect how the 2.0 is kind of different than the 1.0 that we did 26 years ago? Oh, yeah. So first of all, um, 
glass ceiling 1.0, the, the OG. <laughs> um, that took four years. It took a federal commission that was very well funded um, and over a four-year period engaged with multiple research partners who each took a section of the overall research agenda and delivered that back to Congress that was then approved by the Senate. Um, we obviously don't have that time right now. So this is going to happen. The main body of this work is going to happen over a few months. Um, yes, there'll be quantitative data as part of this. Um, we certainly hope to be able to, um, uh, well, a lot of that research will be done on a global basis. Um, there's a lot of qualitative work. So for those of you who aren't in research, what does that mean? It just means stories, people who will come on and tell their stories. Mm. And um, let's take those stories and use them not only to um, put a message behind the data that we're collecting, but that it's also a source of data itself. And, um, you know, we've got really great people that will come onto the podcast and are um, going to speak to us um, as part of the work that we do traditionally as part of WITI to really grab their insights. And, you know, this is the age of Zoom and collaborative tools. So we don't need to do research like it did, was done 30 years ago where, <laughs> you know, you send out the request and four years later, a really large report comes onto your desk, right? We're gonna take advantage of working in real time. And um, by coming into this podcast and you can look at our website, this is gonna be a living update on DEIA and tech where you can get advice and stories and you can hear interviews with experts and depending on who you are, if you're in DNI, you know, if you work in a DNI office or if you're in executive management and tech or even just working a line of business and you've got people working for you, if you're in an ERG or an enterprise resource group, this is a great, we want this to be a great source of how you affect change and drive new systems and really get smart on the latest solutions that we're seeing in the marketplace. Regulatory changes, we spent a lot of time focusing on the federal government and regulatory changes that we see happening, things that are already coming out about that in the news. And then um, let's share best practices and try and stamp out some of those worst practices. We've got to come up with a better word than worst practices. I like worst about. practices, but yes, I think we should too. That's um, worst practices. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of federal government, I know you mentioned some regulatory things that were coming down the line. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, we're going to be working with the federal government. Um, we certainly are working closely with the federal government on some projects right now. But can you talk a little bit about some of those executive orders that we're going to be aligned with? Yeah. So the Biden administration has already come out with two executive orders this year, specifically around either racial equity or diversity and inclusion. And then, Stacey, you know the numbers better than I do. Yeah, executive <laughs> order, the first one, January 20th, President Biden uh, issued executive order 13085, advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the workplace. And then in July, uh, executive order 14085 was meant to really push that forward, executive order from January, and then put some parameters and deadlines around requirements to respond to that order right yeah yeah urgent deadlines i mean yes things yes. we're doing yesterday August. deadlines yesterday yeah. uh, october there's more in october there's november deadlines there's march and april deadlines i mean these are basically deadlines for the government to set uh, a government-wide strategic plan for dia it is intended to knock down all the barriers that we see in working with the federal government mm. of which we know many 
and to think differently about being an employee or a contractor to the federal government and really for agencies to have a much better approach to interagency data. So it, it's really about setting strategies and every agency, which there's more than 70, have to undergo self-assessments and equity audits. And then by the time we get to next year, um, there is supposed to be a report that pulls all of that together and, and then sets a baseline for improvements over the next three years. So that's happening right now. So it is, it's very, right very and I think this is just this is just one example of more regulation that we're seeing happening in the technology sector. Of course, um, last month and even this month in October, um, well, we all saw Francis Hogan on Facebook mm. testifying on the cap on Capitol Hill. Wow. Um, yeah, Wow is right. I mean, she was very credible. She was eloquent. She was informed about all of the challenges that we see around algorithms and the malicious intent um, or, or how algorithms are used for malicious behavior. Um, so I think, you know, when I, I watched that, I was glued to her testimony. Um, there were really what a couple of things for her to take. What a risk. What's that? What a risk for her to take. I mean, you don't want to be a, be a whistleblower in Washington. <laughs> Massive risk, right? I don't, you cannot say that anyone's there for fame. I don't think any whistleblower, um, like Anita Hill, for example, would say that it's helped their career. So mm -hmm. she obviously really put herself out there. And I think for me, what it really cemented were things that you see in your own personal life, which is um, the impact on teens and on youth, how it drives, can drive extremism, how Disinformation can be used when you misuse the the platform. How it trained the algorithms can be trained to, you know, if they're all about engagement, how extremism and hate are actually amplified. I, I mean, I think it was just an incredible testimony. If anyone hasn't seen it, you should probably pull it up and um, and just listen to her her entire testimony there. But I think for me, there's two things coming, right? We've got a lot of discussion right now around new bills and acts around antitrust and regulating monopolies and, and competition. Um, but I think for me, this new discussion around liability of large technology companies under Section 230 right now is now back in play. And you know, we've already seen some chipping away at Section 230 with new bills that are mainly around sex trafficking and child exploitation and the like. Um, I I think that we've got to expect there's more of this mm -hmm. to come. And and really, I think, you know, she talked a lot about scale, right? You need protection at scale. And that's, I mean, that's where we are. I mean, look at these tech companies are massive, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. Um, and every industry gets too big to self-regulate at some point, right? The, we saw it in banking. We saw it in telco space. We've seen it in transportation, I mean, we just have to expect this. We'll be talking on the podcast about some of the regulatory work with the SEC and NASDAQ around reporting. We'll talk a lot more about that in some of the other episodes. I mean, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we're not going to see more regulation for the tech space. And what I'm annoyed about is there wasn't enough weaved in yeah. so far in the testimony around diversity and inclusion. You know, this is, this is where you bring this up. These are the bills where you can really drive and affect change. And I think... I think the industry itself is actually very open to that. I think that um, 
again, we've heard great stuff. We've seen great strategies. It's just who is going to ensure this gets done. So um, how do you ensure it gets done? What's the system to ensure that it gets done? And who oversees the overseers in this, right? If we oh. put in place overseer agencies, well, who's watching them? Good point. And, right? Who's making sure that gets done? And again, it's happening right now. This is this is one of these moments in time where there is an opportunity to make a lot of change, just like we saw back in the mid-90s. But I think what we need to do differently is have systems in place that drive change because systems are put in place to keep change out, right? That's what a system is. It's all about architecting to getting to a, a means or, or an end. And I don't think we ever really knew what the outcome was supposed to be. You know, I think after the mid nineties, there wasn't a clear outcome defined. And I think we need to very clearly define what that outcome is and what the timeline looks like for that and what those systems will be that will affect change, not affect status quo. Yeah, so this isn't going to be a one-time thing. This is not an ad hoc report, right? This is meant to be living, breathing work that continues on and pushes change and pushes change and pushes it, right? And, and provides safeguards for accountability. You know, we, we've talked a lot about safety in the last 18 months and even for workers, we've talked a lot about safety. So let's talk about safeguards for uh, the next 10 years, you know, whether it's standards or certifications, um, we have to clearly define what that outcome is that we're all planning for. And I think that that's the part that's, for me, it's not solidified. A strategy does not necessarily mean that you've got a very clear outcome. And um, so if you've got, let's call it 75 or so federal agencies that are all putting in different strategies who works to ensure that there's a central strategy in place and that it's followed up on and that it actually leads to some change. Because believe me, if we had been doing all the right things, we would have, we would have seen the change, right? So yeah, it just tells me that this has become a checkbox exercise for many organizations. And um, if it wasn't a checkbox exercise, we would have seen more change, but you know, we've got all these laws um, we have policy. We have an administration now that is um, very open to this. Let's start seeing real change. Yeah. And to your point about it being a checkbox, I've seen that in the organizations where I've worked. I've seen that a, a big organization, a very large company hires a, a chief diversity and inclusion officer. Maybe she's a woman. Maybe she's a woman of color. Check two boxes. Right. I'm calling out the tech industry. I, I, you know, it's gone on too long. Right. And I talk to so many DNI officers who have no empowerment and they have no money. How can you do something without money? You simply cannot. If you're not empowered and you don't have money, you can't do it. Nothing changes. And then, by the way, you're set up for failure, too, if you don't have enough people and you don't have enough money. And right. it makes the problem almost worse. Right. Yep. Um, Someone needs to be accountable for success, whether that's the CEO, maybe it's the CFO. You know, we're going to be doing some work around is DNI, is the DNI office in the right place? Should it really report into HR or should it be somewhere else? Right? Because again, HR is a system that's not necessarily designed for change, it's designed for recruiting, hiring, employee experience. Um, 
that's all not all important things. All important. And it goes back to human capital management, but doesn't necessarily mean that you've got experts to drive change or the authority or even the responsibility. So we'll be looking into that. This is why we want to get um, really great discussions going. And, um, you know, on, on the next episodes, you'll be hearing from a lot of really good guest speakers. Who do you who is um, who's your dream guest, Stacy, for the podcast? Well, there are so many. It's really hard to, you're one of them, Michelle, so. Oh, we talk <laughs> we every day. <laughs> we talk every day. I would love to have Vice President Harris on. Oh, I would yeah. love to have, uh, she would be a dream podcast speaker for me. Our next speaker next week is also someone who I idolize, Renee Redwood from, um, you know, the Federal Glass Ceiling Commission Director and who we get to work with all the time. She's our guest next week. What about you, Michelle? Okay, if I had to pick my dream speaker, this is just my personal dream speaker, it would be Henry Louis Gates Jr. Do you know who he is? Oh, abs- Oh, I love him. Yes. Brilliant. He, yeah. is, he has a show, it's an ancestry show, it's for ancestry.com. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Finding Your Roots. Oh my God, I've learned so much listening to him and how he talks about history, particularly here in the U.S., around slavery and um, civil rights. And I mean, he's so eloquent and um, he's really, I find him really quite a humble speaker as well. So maybe we can get him on. I don't know how we get to him. If anyone's listening, you know how to get to Henry Lewis. He let us know. Also, anyone know how to get to someone at the NAACP, Ibram Kendi? I mean, there's plenty of people that we would love to have. So anybody who has any suggestions or recommendations or ways to get to people, we'd love that. How do they get to us? Well, glassceilinginstitute.com. That's how you get to us. That's where you will be able to contact us and to ask questions and to make suggestions. Uh, That's where we'll be posting all of the content that we're going to be writing up. We're also going to be, we'll post those executive orders that we we re-referenced the original glass ceiling report. We'll have a lot there for you in between to keep you really busy in between podcasts. And it is an institute. So the report is something that's powered by Witty and our yes. sponsors are helping with that effort to get that kickstarted. But the institute isn't just about our research. We'll take any research, right? And again, I said, there's so much public tater out there. Um, we would love to hear from other research organizations and maybe they would even like to come on the podcast and talk about some of the work that they've been doing. So, you know, we're, this is an area where um, we can bring expertise from wherever it comes. So we'd love to hear from you. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be so amazing. I can't wait to do more. I can't wait to hear from more amazing speakers and to read about all the great stuff that's that's to come and to be part of change. Let's do it, people. Part of yes, systems of change, not systems of status quo. Yeah. All right, Stacy. So I think that's it. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Unravel. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more content, follow us on Instagram at Glass Ceiling Institute. Follow us on Twitter at GCI Official and visit our website, glassceilinginstitute.com. See you next time.